This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, today, guys, we've got a very special guest on the podcast, one of the greatest MMA fighters on the planet, certainly one of the greatest welterweights on the planet. It is Rory the Red King McDonald. So this is an MMA fighter who has fought in the UFC and Bellator, King of the Cage, and he's just recently signed with the Professional Fighters League, the PFL, former welterweight champion over in Bellator. This guy has a 21-6 and record in MMA. He's trained at one of the most famous gyms in the entire world. And I don't want to waste a whole lot of time getting into this interview because I just want you guys to get into it. But the biggest reason why I wanted him on this podcast, yes, he's a great fighter. Yes, he's been a part of some legendary matchups. And in my opinion, uh, been in one of the greatest or top two greatest fights ever. But this guy's an outspoken Christian. And I know for some of you immediately, you're like, wait, wait, what? This is an MMA fighter. What do you mean an outspoken Christian? Aren't those things like on opposite sides of the spectrum? But the thing about it is, is this guy has some unbelievable depth that I'm not even sure you realize. Even if you've watched interviews with him before, obviously most of the time he's being interviewed by the MMA media. So what types of questions are they asking? MMA relating questions, right? That they want to know about the punches and kicks. They want to know about the takedowns and the sprawls. Like they want to know about those things. They're not necessarily worried about a guy's spiritual awakening. You know what I mean? But he had one. And we get into it. We definitely talk about it in this episode. Guys, this, this is one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. It's, it's one of my favorite episodes that I've ever done just because we go into a lot of really good detail on some fights that I know you guys are already picturing in your minds. And don't worry, we talk about those fights. But man, the depth we get into in terms of what spiritualism is and not just, you know, spiritualism as, you know, modern society says it, but actually being a disciple of Jesus Christ and being a fighter. What is that like? So guys, without further ado... Let's get into it. Rory, the Red King McDonald, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. We're so glad to have you on this podcast. First MMA fighter we've had on this show, so we're super excited to have you. And we'll jump right into the MMA questions here. But kind of the first time I remember hearing about Rory McDonald, you know, all this hype of you getting into the UFC, is that you were one of the first up-and-coming young guys that trained MMA your whole life. Like, you weren't just a wrestler or a boxer or a tie fighter that had to learn the other disciplines later. How do you feel like training all of the MMA disciplines as you grew up and as your body developed kind of helped you develop into this championship caliber fighter? Yeah, I was lucky enough to find a a mixed martial arts gym. So they offered everything that goes into MMA from boxing, kickboxing, wrestling, jujitsu. So I had the opportunity to, you know, get everything under one roof. And um, I loved it. I loved the sport. And um, I felt like, I feel like, you know, the fact that I got to start with, with, you know, the whole MMA um, mindset rather than focusing it, my, my, uh, my mind on wrestling or, you know, a specific martial art, I was putting everything together from, you know, my foundation as a martial artist. So I think that's that's a big advantage for me even now. I feel like I'm a balanced fighter. So if I'm fighting a guy who, you know, specializes in striking, I can hang with him striking, but I, I could also, I, I'm comfortable to take him out of his comfort zone. Sure. So um, that's, I feel, I feel a lot of confidence with that. 
Well, that's one thing. As I've watched your career, there's been a lot of fights where you'll shoot a takedown and you'll surprise me. And I, I kind of have a wrestling background. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't even think of takedown there because maybe it's kind of one of those standing, uh, you know, trading type fights. And, you know, you're kickboxing with somebody and then all of a sudden you shoot that takedown. But obviously that served you well because you started 10 and 0 to start your MMA career. You won your UFC debut, but you did lose your second fight, a fight that you were winning against the great Carlos Condit um, via TKO back in 2010. It was at the very, very end of the fight, a fight that you were definitely winning on the cards. So for you, obviously, what was it like losing for the first time? And then I know it changed how you started preparing for fights. So, but what did you change specifically? Yeah, it was, it was a bit of a heartbreaker for me. I always dreamed of, you know, being an undefeated guy and, you know, it was a big blow to my ego and, uh, but it was in the long run, it was good for me. It helped open up my eyes and my mind to new things and keep developing so it was uh you know it was a you know it you know in hindsight it was good for me as a young guy i think i was 21 years old um after that i decided to move uh to montreal and train at tristar full-time with you know the the camp of fighters that we have out here and you know just i felt like coming from a small town it, uh, you know, it served me well to be around guys that were dedicated and just focused on being the best fighters they could be. Whereas I was, you know, I, I was in a place where it was a small gym, local gym, um, that fighters were, you know, they're trying to work jobs, support their families and, and do this on the side. So um, as training partners were kind of falling away, as I was getting more serious, I was starting to struggle, you know, finding, you know, tough competition inside the gym, you know, because some of my tougher guys, tougher training partners, you know, had other things on, that took more precedence. You know, they had families to support and, you know, me, I was all in, in the MMA. So I, uh, I, ha- I had to make a tough choice and, and move up to Montreal. One that ended up being probably one of the better decisions that you've made, certainly for your MMA career, because you've got to spend a lot of time training one-on-one with one of the greats, and in my opinion, the greatest fighter in MMA history in George St. Pierre. I mean, what was it like training, and what is it still like training with a guy like that who, who as you kind of alluded to, he, he's completely sold out to MMA as well, but having that caliber of fighter be close enough to you in weight and also be a little bit more advanced in his career, what was that like having him there? He was definitely a, a good mentor, you know. Uh, um, there was a lot of great guys there, though. That was that was the big selling point with Montreal, though. Is you know there was guys of all shapes and sizes, and they were you know some of the best in the world coming out of Canada. So it was it was an awesome opportunity for me to just get in the mix with those guys, see what their mindsets were, see what the training differences were. And, you know, also just learn from the older guys that had been around. Absolutely. And so, you know, you've probably been asked this question before, but I I just got to know for myself, since you've been in the room with them a lot, prime Rory McDonald versus prime GSP. How does that fight go? Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I believe in myself, obviously. But, you know, George is, you know, he's he's done it all. You know, he's obviously one of the greatest of all time. But um, I, I, uh, it's it's a question that makes me uncomfortable because I would never want to disrespect someone like that, and um, but at the same time I I feel that you know 
I, I could, when I'm at my best, I could, I could be the best in the world. I could beat anybody, but, um, luckily that, uh, that never had to happen. You know, me and George have been great training partners for each other to help each other grow as martial artists and competitors. So, you know, I, uh, I was never interested in that, in that, in that matchup. Right. Well, I got to tell you, um, if your MMA career goes sideways, you might have a career in politics or public relations because you side skirted my hard question, which is cool because I <laughs> wanted to make you a little uncomfortable. But hey, well, we're settling in now. But one of the big things about your career, when most people think about your career, it's it really goes back to the night of July 11, 2015 at UFC 189, when you became an, an MMA legend, when you became one half of one of, if not the greatest fight ever, certainly the greatest fight in welterweight history when you had your rematch against Robbie Lawler. Of course, the first fight, um, there was some very awkward refereeing decisions that were made in that fight. Um, you, you were dominating the majority of that fight. Uh, I don't exactly agree with how the judges scored it, but hey, that's MMA. But here you are in your rematch yeah. with the Robbie Lawler, and, but here we are right now. We're, we're about five years uh, past that fight. What do you remember yeah. now when you look back on that fight, which has become such a legendary fight? Oh, there was a lot, man. It was one of the most intense moments of my life. Um, it was everything that I put my, you know, I, I sacrificed a lot to get to that point. So it meant a lot to me. Um, there was a lot going on in my life at that point too. So it was just, it was a crazy time in my life, but I was, uh, I was hungry. Um, probably not as hungry as I should have been leading up to the fight, but in the fight, you know, I was a dog and I, I was willing to, you know, push myself very far. Uh, I wish I was. I was willing to push myself a little farther, but, you know, it is what it is. It was a hard fight. It taught me a lot about myself. Um, you know, when you go into those deep waters, you start to have to learn about who you truly are when it when push comes to shove. So, you know, I'm very grateful for that experience. And uh, even though I fell short in it, um, you know, I'm I'm happy the way it went down. Um, when I look back at it and I feel like it's made me a better a better fighter because of it well and I gotta tell you that's probably the fight that I've rewatched the most and I've rewatched it even recently I watched it again last night and really the turning point of that fight was in the third round because in the third round obviously you could tell right out of the gate you're doing a lot of those teeps you're, you're teeping him right right to the gut and you're doing some of those push kicks and he was just eating them for the first two rounds but then in the third round you could tell that Robbie started to drop his hands just ever so slightly because those those kicks seemed to be bothering him you know looking back that obviously seemed like it was a, a good game plan but when you look back on the fight seeing how it ended up are there any other adjustments that you would make for that fight um yeah it would have fought a little different um but you know what when when you're under those lights sometimes the game plan just goes out the out the, out the sure. front door yeah and, and you just fight and Robbie's one of those guys that he could he's he's great at taking you out of the game plan and just and making the fight intense the way he wants it to get into a brawl. And he was able to keep the fight like that, which is, you know, it really played into his strengths, I think. And he's a very uh, durable guy and, um, you know, with a, a very strong will. And uh, I, I was hoping that I was able to break it, but it looks like he, he broke mine at the end of the day.
Well, it's certainly one of those fights where obviously you heard him with the head kick. Uh, that, that fight could have gone either way. You saw uh, the referee, Big John, almost stepped in and stopped the fight at one point. But uh, last question on that particular fight. I've always been curious about this. Maybe the most iconic moment in MMA history is when the horn went off at the end of the fourth round and, you know, Robbie, you know, spits blood and you both just stand there in the middle of the octagon, bleeding, broken, and you're just staring at each other. And I remember that being the most gangster thing that I had ever seen in my entire life, <laughs> especially considering how the fight went. But if, if you can, can you remember what was going through your head at that exact moment? Yeah, I was exhausted at the end of that round. I think it was the end of the fourth, right? Yeah, it was the end of the fourth round. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to put him away um, in that round, and I, I really got, I got tired. And uh, I, could, I could feel him near the end of that round. His intensity was growing. He, was, he got a second wind. He was hungry. You know, he, he, it's like he, he dealt with my best. He, he, he thought that like, he took my best, and now he was, uh, he was full steam ahead. He was ready, you know. And uh, right. I think he smelt he smelt my my uh, my um, hunger diminish, and uh, and he I I've seen him do it before where he he'll come forward after the bell or after a fight and he'll he'll try to lock horns with guys or lock eyes and, and intimidate you because um, he's a very intimidating person when you when you you're you're in a fight with him. He has a he has an intimidating presence, and I always told myself like I'm never gonna let someone look at me like that and me just turn my back and walk away. So I was determined to stay in the fight, stay in the mental battle at that point in time, and uh, stand my ground and uh, kind of you know engage in that you know uh, what would you call that like alpha stare down I guess. Right. Well, it was the fight uh, inside the fight is kind of what it goes on because, yes, you have seen him punk guys in MMA before, and it does do something to you psychologically when the other guy doesn't, doesn't cower and run away. Um, but that is just, you know, he's just one of the many fighters in your MMA career that you've got a lot of runway left, but you fought a, a who's who of MMA legends in your career. I mean, just to run the list a little bit, Carlos Condit, Nate Diaz, BJ Penn, Damian Maya, Tyron Woodley, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Paul Daly, Douglas Lima, Gegard Mousasi, and, and the, the list goes on and on. But against those top-level guys, right, including Robbie Lawler, in your opinion, what is the best performance of your career where you left the octagon or the cage completely satisfied with what you showed the world and the result? I felt like the best I walked into a fight was against Paul Daly. And, I, and I mean, I was blessed to go through that fight, like, untouched. And, I mean, it went perfectly. But I, I, I really do felt like – I did feel like – when I walked in there, there was nobody going to beat me. And uh, I just felt very on top of my game. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was ready that night. That's for sure. I, I felt very good that night. It was a wonderful performance for sure. And, and it could be someone from that list or someone that may, I may have skipped over. But aside from your legendary fight with Robbie Lawler, who was your toughest opponent uh, to date? Who was the uh, toughest fighter you fought? Def uh, by far, Robbie. Uh, Carlos is up there. Um, but Robbie has a he has a different uh, there's just a difference when you when you lock horns with a guy like that you 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 in, you re instantly realize you're 
you're dealing with a different kind of a person that you don't come across very often. And, uh, yeah, he's a very interesting individual when you, when you get into battle with him. Uh, it's, it's impressive. It, he's taught me a lot just from like, just from our experience together and just to feel his energy and his, his, uh, cause you feel like when you're, when you're in an intense fight or any kind of fight, you, you have, um, almost like a sixth sense about the presence of that person you're dealing with. And, uh, his is, his was like on another level. Plus, you know, the fact that I, I've done a lot of damage to that guy or I've, you know, I, you know, I, I really given my best to put him away or um, dominate him and he always is just in the fight mentally and like never stops so that he's definitely the toughest guy I ever fought well I appreciate that so obviously you fought him in the UFC and then you transitioned to Bellator so you fought for those two organizations which are very similar but now you're in the professional fighters league so you're in the PFL it's very different it's a tournament format where the winner gets a million dollars at the end of the rainbow for winning the tournament now that's usually on New Year's Eve but we'll see how it goes with everything being pushed back with the virus but what was I guess the most appealing thing for you about joining PFL as opposed to just staying with Bellator or even testing the waters with an organization like one well I mean, their their contract offer was, you know, the best one I've got in my career. So, you know, I got to thank God for, you know, that blessing. Um, and just their, I, I really like their their um, their season format. I think that it's it's a great structure for someone who wants to stay busy um, and believes in themselves to, you know, go through the ringer, uh, which is five fights in a, in a in a year. So, you know, I, I believed in myself, obviously the million dollar prize at the end of the, the tournament. Um, it just, uh, it's a, it was a great opportunity. It's uh, a new start somewhere with people and uh, with people uh, in the organization I believe in, I believe in their approach and to be a part of that company. I feel like in the pretty early, early going of PFL, I, I think that we're, going to grow this thing into a, a major organization in MMA. When I like that you use the word we, obviously it's like you have some ownership in the growth of what's going on there. And, you know, they've needed to inject a little bit of new blood uh, into the system. And they certainly done that by adding you. Uh, but Rory, one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on this podcast is because of your outspoken Christian faith. Obviously this is a Christian podcast where 99% of the listeners are men. So uh, you're going to have a lot of fans listening to you right now. But uh, as long as I have all this right, I mean, you were raised Catholic, but you didn't really follow Jesus for much of your life. Uh, but back in 2019 said that you had an account an encounter with God and you are now a disciple of Jesus. Can you actually walk us through what happened during that time period of your life and, and what that encounter with God was? Sure. I mean, it really goes back to 2015. I, uh, after I fought Robbie, I, um, I had just kind of like, I, I lost the fight and my life was a, going down in a bit of a spiral downwards and um, I was just living a very toxic life um, and my attitude really changed was starting to get very negative I was uh, I was I was just an aggressive person and 
I was losing, I, I just felt like I was losing control. And, uh, I don't know. It, it was a strange time in my life, um, on a lot of, uh, on a lot of levels from my career to, you know, my relationships, um, my family, my friends, you know, and just my own, you know, outlook on the world. I just felt like very in a very negative, dark place. And, uh, you know, I turned to alcohol, you know, smoking, smoking weed, uh, you know, girls. And I just, anything to take my mind off of the internal struggle that I was going through to not have to deal with it. It was uh, that summer. Uh, well, after summer, I uh, <clears throat> I was I feel that God really sent me a lifeline because I I I don't know uh, where I would be if I just kept going down that path. And he uh, I met my uh, wife to be, who you know is a is a Christian. Um, was raised in a Christian household, you know, and uh, you know a believer. She had spent time in Bible college, but, you know, we met and uh, she, you know, invited me to the church she was going to. And I had had some experiences in my uh, my teenage years with uh, with the Lord that I never forgot. And I always I always had an interest for for Jesus. I knew it was real. I just didn't I didn't have the know-how or the structure around me. I don't know if these are excuses, but I just, I didn't, I didn't feel like I knew how to walk the walk with Jesus. I, I, there was a lot of things I, I didn't understand about faith, I guess, but I was, I had some experiences that were very real and I was always intrigued about, about God and a relationship with them. So when she invited me to her church, um, at this point in my life, I was very skeptical. You know, I had heard, I had heard and listened to every worldly outlook on on Christianity and religion in general. That it's you know it's bad, or you know they just want your money, things like that. So I went in with a very skeptical outlook, and, but I was interested at the same time because of what I went through years before. So. I uh, I went there, and the pastor, who is my pastor today, Pastor uh, Steve Jeswaldi at Good News Chapel, I was, like, very taken back. I was, like, when he started talking, I'd never heard a preacher talk like that. Um, coming from a Catholic background, um, it just felt, like, very gen. It was very genuine and real, and from, you know, the Word, it was based on, you know, what what what's in the Bible and... It just wasn't something I experienced before. And immediately, I felt like God working in my heart and my mind that was like, I was very, like, I was just locked into what he was saying. And I just, I had a craving to know more and to come back, keep coming back. So, I mean, I was still living a pretty toxic life um, at that point. But, I mean, I think from that point on, the Lord started work doing a work in me, in my mind. Because I was very hard-headed, I had a really hard heart and outlook on life and people, and I treated people poorly. And uh, you know, it took some time, but I kept coming to church. I started reading the Bible, and you know, 
actually taking a look for myself, what things said and praying. And, uh, you know, in, in a matter of time, I, I, uh, you know, I gave my, my heart to the Lord and I got baptized and, uh, you know, been, been doing my best to walk that walk ever since. And, you know, God has continued to do a work in me, you know, develop me and my walk and as a Christian. So it's been, it's been amazing. There's nothing better than having a relationship with the Lord. That's for sure. Well, Roy, I really appreciate you spending some time getting into that and explaining it to us just because we talk about all the time that there are guys that are kind of like you, you know, an MMA fighter or a former military or a guy that could be categorized as, you know, rough around the edges or just a rough guy in general that, you know, maybe they look at what's going on inside the church and they have some of the same thoughts that you did. Like, oh, they just want your money. It's just a bunch of wusses in there anyway. Like, I don't want to be one of those guys. But to see one of the baddest yeah. dudes on the planet to basically come full circle and embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that, that's that's pretty substantial. But it, it's obviously had more of an over overriding impact on all the areas of your life. Obviously uh, there's a lot made about the comments you made after your fight with John Fitch and Bellator. And we're actually going to play those comments here. I, uh, I, I landed some good stuff in there, but I don't know. Something, something is just, it's hard to sometimes pull the trigger now, I guess. I don't have that, uh, that killer inside. I don't know. It's, it's really hard to explain, but I I, uh, I hesitate a little bit now. I uh, I don't know what to say. It wasn't it wasn't my best my best performance. Are you feeling that as you get older and you have more things happening in your life, that you're changing as a fighter? Yeah, as a man, I feel like God has really called me the last uh, little while, and I don't know. It's, he's changed my spirit, changed my heart, and it, it it takes a certain spirit to come in here and and put a, man, uh, put a man through pain and stuff. And I just don't, I don't know if I have that, that, same, that same drive to hurt people anymore. I don't know what it is, but it, uh, it's confusing. But, you know, I know the Lord has something in store for me, but uh, he was speaking to me in here tonight. And I don't know, it's, it's a different feeling. Well, how do you feel? You know your next matchup is soon. You're going to come back right away against Neiman Gracie. How are you feeling as far as getting back in this cage basically in a month and a half? I have to uh, get out of here and reevaluate. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. Tonight was, uh, was, there was a mix of emotions in there. Uh, I landed some good stuff, but uh, there was something, something different. All right, well, congratulations on moving on in the welterweight tournament. So in there, you said a lot of things that were really important, but the biggest takeaway for me was this quote, it takes a certain spirit to come in here and put a man through pain. I don't know if I, I have that same drive to hurt people anymore. It's confusing, but I know the Lord has something in store for me. And, and you've had fights since that time period. You've obviously, within a few days, you, you were doing interviews kind of explaining the context behind those, those thoughts. But can you kind of explain that time period and what that was like after that fight and kind of what you feel like the Lord was teaching you during that time? Yeah, no, I was, uh, during that time, I was very hungry. You know, I was in, I was in the Word every day. And I was, you know, I was really getting close to God. I was pursuing him. And, um, and a lot had been changing in my life the last few years. You know, I, I have uh, two kids now. Um, I'm married. I have a house. Just a different lifestyle. So I guess 
my hunger for God at that time was misplaced. Like, my outlook was a bit off, I guess. I didn't understand maybe that God could use me in the field that I'm, I'm, I was currently in. I felt like so many people, when they give their lives to the Lord, they go to Bible college, they go, to, they go on to do things like that. And I thought, maybe that's, that's what I need to do. But I realized right. shortly after that that wasn't my calling, you know, that, that right now the, the, this, is, this is the field that the Lord is going to use me in, you know, my, my career for now anyway. And, uh, you know, to give my testimony, to evangelize to people around me that I come into contact with, to be an example of a man of combat, you know, you know, well, I mean, hand-to-hand combat um, that lives for the Lord. So I guess I was just confused on, on my purpose as a Christian, uh, and, you know, and, and I was hungry to serve God, you know. I just think it was a bit misplaced at the time. Um, gotcha. But, but since then, you know, <clears throat> you know, I've, I've learned a lot and I've spent some time with the Lord and, you know, people around me and feel a lot more clear on and a lot more driven because I mean when you're having confusing thoughts you know your drive is a bit you know everywhere so I, I feel uh, focused driven and you know I feel like I'm living out my purpose at the moment and uh, yeah I'm, I'm thank God well, with, with all that in mind, the thing that you notice when you watch fighting, and I've been watching fighting or watching MMA since the very beginning, whenever my dad took me to, you know, the video store and we rented UFC 1 and UFC 2 and we watched it. The, the thing about it is you don't seem to see a lot of outspoken Christians in MMA. Why, why do you think that is? I think it's pretty hard to do it. I mean, it's, you're in a, a pretty dark world. Um, you know, not dark, but like there's people who are living in the darkness in that world, you know, that are drawn to it. And there comes a lot of criticism when you speak out about Jesus in this world, as you, as you probably know. Sure. Um, And so when you use that platform, when there's people that don't know the Lord, hear you talking like that, you know, they're obviously going to, you know, have some negative outlooks on you. So I think it takes a bit of boldness and courage to do that, um, especially when maybe sponsors or opportunities that, you know, you question, are you going to get the same opportunities if you speak out your faith? Are you going to get the same sponsorship if you speak out your faith? Right. So it also comes down to money and your career goals, um, and then obviously, you know, the the persecution, you know, well, you know, verbal persecution. Right. But, um, yeah. That's, uh, I think that's probably why. That's understandable. Well, we've got a couple of sections here left uh, since we've got you for a little while longer. So this first one, I just want to ask you some lightning round questions that are about MMA. So with all of these, you got to give me your answer in 30 seconds or less. Uh, we just want we just want the nuts and bolts of exactly what your answer is. So you up for it? Yeah, I'll do my best. 
All right, here we go. First question here. What is the most important discipline to master for MMA? Jiu-Jitsu. All right, easy enough. Fantasy matchup. If you could fight with anyone in MMA history in their prime, who would it be and why? Uh, Robbie Lawler. Okay, to, sounds good. <laughs> to, why would you do that? Uh, to see if I have what it takes to beat him now. Sounds good. All right, where does your nickname, The Red King, come from? I, uh, it actually is the meaning of my first name, Rory. Um, I had gone through a string of uh, bad nicknames. And, uh, <laughs> you got to tell us some of the bad really, nicknames. you got to tell us now. First one was Waterboy, given to me by my, <laughs> my, team, my martial arts team, Toshido, and my coach, David Lee. And I always, I always disliked it because it's like in reference to the Waterboy, the movie, Adam Sandler movie. Right, yeah. Because I had a lot of rage and anger. So when I would get like beat up or whatever, I would just let it all out in this kind of fit of rage. <laughs> they call me the water boy because I was only a little kid when I start, first started training. So I don't know. And uh, then I didn't like when people started calling me that in UFC interviews and at, at the UFC. I was always embarrassed by it. So I changed my own nickname to uh, Ares, the God of War. And I know it's kind of, cringy that name too but i was just very desperate to come up with something different and i was kind of just thinking on my own like you know what i gotta change this name and driving me nuts so um change it to that i i really it wasn't sitting well with me either after a few years and uh i was talking to a friend um another fighter cajun johnson about this about like oh man i, I really don't like my nickname it sucks you know and uh, we were talking about um, the meaning of my my first name, Rory, as shooting ideas around. And uh, we looked it up or whatever. It said uh, that there were Scottish kings, I don't know from what time frame, but they called them the Red King. And I just felt like that was that was a pretty cool name. I don't I don't I wouldn't feel embarrassed about that name. So uh, that's where that's where it came from. Very cool. I'm glad you went into overtime to explain that one. Next quick question here. Who is your favorite fighter to watch of all time? Oh, that's a hard one. Uh, George St. Pierre. All right. Who is the most underrated fighter ever? Um, the hard question for lightning round. Sorry. I know. Uh, I know. Cause there's so many, uh, there's so many guys. I'm going to screw this up probably. Uh, there's, uh, you know, Dan Henderson, I, I feel like didn't get that much credit. He accomplished a lot. Absolutely. Never got the strap in the UFC. A lot of people hold that against him, but hey, you know, he, he had some great, great wins. All right. This next one is you've got to give me your MMA Mount Rushmore. So these are your top four favorite fighters ever. And to, and to do you a favor, just to do you a favor, I'll, I'll talk slowly as I, as I tell you mine. Okay. So here are my top four. I got GSP, who I think is the GOAT. Then I've got John Jones, because if the United States has to send John Jones to fight against another country and we can send one war, I'm putting him on steroids and we're sending him over there to take care of business. Then I'm going to go with Daniel Cormier, because I think when people look back on his career, they're going to realize how underrated it was, the guys that he beat and the guys that he ragdolled. And the last guy is Conor McGregor, just because he almost single-handedly elevated MMA 
up two or three levels in like a two or three year span. And he was the first double champ in the UFC history. I mean, you just can't take that away from him, even with all the antics and the stuff that, you know, we wish he wouldn't do. So that's my MMA Mount Rushmore. So go ahead and give all me right. yours. Okay. So I'll go with number one. I'll go with Hoist Gracie. Okay. Just because of, uh, you know, the first UFC, the very first UFCs, you know, he was a dominant champion as a smaller guy. He's, you know, he did a great thing. He exposed uh, the martial arts world to the power of jiu-jitsu and uh, started a snowball effect of guys cross-training different martial arts, and we are, we're here today because of it. Um, then I would probably put Chuck Liddell because he was an influential person in me being attracted to MMA in my early teenage years because he was uh, – he was a bit of a he was a champ at that point in time, and he was just crushing people. Um, then I would put Drew uh, Saint Pierre because he's you know, GSP that he's he's one of the greatest of all times. And then I don't know, there's a lot of guys you can. Put I know, I know. I mean, I feel, give me one. I feel bad because I I want to say Demetrius Johnson, I want to say John Jones, I want to say all these different guys. Um, but I feel like, like you said, if I'm gonna, if we're gonna go to go to war uh, and use one one fighter from each each country, I feel like John Jones would probably beat everyone. So I might yeah. as well put him up there. Just the idea of him being on like rhinoceros steroids with like a bow and arrow and a spear, like that's the uh, scariest thing possible. Yeah, you probably don't even need him on steroids. You just probably need him happy and healthy and not distracted with, you know, a toxic lifestyle. <laughs> Yeah, there is that too. All right, last MMA hit a quick question, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Who is the GOAT? George. Uh, George St. Pierre, I, I just feel like, you know, you know, the losses he did have, he avenged them dominantly. He's just accomplished so much. The guy was just a dominant force every, like, all the time. He, he just crushed his career. No one did what he did. It's incredible. Absolutely. And so was John Jones. I mean, and what Demetrius Johnson did is incredible. His UFC run, Anderson Silva. There's amazing guys who did amazing things, but I'd have to give it to George. Excellent. Well, the last section of the podcast here is something new that we like to do with people. It's a section called, what would you say to someone that said? And I'm just going to put fill in the blanks there because these are things that I've either wondered about. These are things that I've heard other people say. It'll give you kind of a chance to answer your critics. But just like before, you got 30 seconds or less to answer. So you good for it? Yeah. All right. What would you say to someone that said MMA will eventually be the biggest sport on earth? I would, uh, I would, I would agree with them. Back then, uh, there was not much going on with MMA, but I believed in it. I believed in the sport and where it was going. So I would have, I would have said, I totally agree. All right. What would you say to someone that said Rory McDonald just went to the PFL for the easy paycheck? <laughs> uh, hey, now I I've never say, said that for the record, it's dummies on Twitter. So you can't get mad at me. All right. But, no, no, hey. I've, I've, I've seen the comment. Don't worry. I'm not, I'm not bothered by it. I get it. Uh, I don't think it's going to be easy at all. These guys are hungry. They want to make a name off a guy that's, you know, fought in the UFC and for the title and things like that. I made a name for myself. These guys want to come take me out. And the format itself, if you just take a look at that, it's going to be a, a heck of a, a time getting through, you know, the training camps, the weight cuts, and 
and obviously the battles that I'm going to have to get through. So it's, it's a bit of a, it's a, it's a grinder to get through that, that format. All right. What would you say to someone that said prime Tyron Woodley would beat prime George St. Pierre? Oh, not even close. Not even close. I totally disagree. I mean, I tend to agree as well, but whenever Tyron was going on his, his long string of wins, people started talking like that was real life. And, you know, hey, I may run into Tyron at some point, so I don't want to talk too much, but let's just say I, I agree with you here. Next one. What would you say to someone yeah. that said, Rory McDonald will never fight at middleweight ever again? There's a very good possibility. <laughs> but you know what? Um, I actually, I don't know. Um, the, the older I get um, – I'll probably I'll probably want to cut less weight because I I do feel like I'll be in this sport for a long time still. So the older I get, I, it might happen where I transition. But I'm not a very big guy, so middleweight would be you know compared to these guys that are at middleweight now, I'm I'm not I'm not there. But we'll see we'll see what happens. All right, what would you say to someone that said Rory McDonald and Douglas Lima will never finish their trilogy? I think if we. I, I have a feeling we will. I think we're gonna we're gonna fight again. I'm gonna beat him. <laughs> well, gosh darn, I hope so. Y'all's first fight that was incredible. I was on pins and needles that entire time. Obviously, he exploded your leg at one point, which was awkward to see. But a very very good fight to watch. <laughs> All right, just a couple more here for you, you, Rory. What would you say to someone that said Christians shouldn't be fighters? I think they have a misunderstanding of being, what being a Christian is in a relationship with the Lord. I think they are taking certain things from the word and twisting it to manipulate their outlook on what it is to be a Christian. Fair enough. Last question of the day. What would you say to someone that said Rory McDonald will go down as one of the greatest welterweights in MMA history? I think they're right. I have a lot to I have to a lot to accomplish in the in this career. Uh a lot of people have me down and out right now. They think that, you know, because I've gone to another organization, they they're just counting me out. They're not even looking at me being a part of the top uh group of guys anymore. I'm going to go past 30 seconds by the way because I like this question. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, um you know, I, I feel like after Douglas beat me uh, this fall, his name got elevated to, uh, is he the best? Would he beat, would he beat uh, the champion UFC, Kamaru Usman? Um, you know, they really, like, he barely, he, I mean, he beat me. He, he, won, he won the fight. I'm not going to take it away from him. But basically, the outlook, the general outlook that you hear is from that fight, him beating me by decision, you know, he, he won he won the rounds. I won't I won't take it away. But they're taking him as being a dominant force, possibly one of the best in the game right now at Welterweight, to me being completely forgotten about and that I'm I'm done, uh, you know, that there's nothing left for me and uh, I'm super excited and motivated to come back and absolutely shock people and uh I only the Lord knows what's you know, what's left in my career, but I feel like I'm going to come back and, and have the best years of my life, the best years of my career in the next, uh, in the next uh, bunch of years to come. And, uh, you know, 
it'll, it, I think it'll really be a, a cool story looking back. So that's what I'm motivated and that's what's uh, giving me some hunger right now to come back and, you know, really show people, you know, where I'm at and who I am as a, as a fighter. Great answer. I appreciate it. Well, man, we talked about a lot of different things today. We went all over the map, but that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? Uh, not really. Uh, I appreciate the interview and, you know, talking about my faith, you know, it's a great opportunity to tell people about, you know, the goodness of God. So uh, I, I thank you for that, 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 that opportunity. I'm looking forward to sharing this with, uh, my my followers on social media and i'm hoping this this gets out there to a lot of people so that it they can see that god loves them and, and that he has a plan for their life you know where they're at right now doesn't doesn't determine who they are you know god could change whatever 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 is wrong in your life or whatever things that didn't go the way you expected you know or, you know, this even just this virus thing, you know, people are, are so afraid. But if you your heart is right with the Lord, you know the word of God, that you know that at the end of the day, everything's going to be all right because you are right with the Lord. And uh, he's going to he's going to take care of you. And, uh, you know, in the end, we win because of Jesus. So, um, yeah, praise God. Well, that is the gospel right there. We really appreciate you preaching it to our listeners and we'll make sure to get you back on here at some other point. Cause you'll probably, you probably forgot to tell us something. So we got to get you back on to ask you some more questions, but Roy McDonald, thanks for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for tuning into that podcast episode, man. We really enjoyed our time that we spent with Rory McDonald. Uh, I mean, you don't expect a guy to even get that deep because even when you ask someone about their spiritual walk, you'll get kind of the cursory glances and overviews of, yeah, this is good. And I like this. And you know, God's good. And Jesus is cool. And like, but, but he actually went deep and he kind of gave you a peek behind the curtain to get an idea of what's going on in that guy's head. So I absolutely love that guys. We're going to do a quick resilience boost before we let you out of here. As you know, by now we are a men's ministry. And our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And specifically, we do that by providing content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So the links I've got for you today, I've got a link to the Robbie Lawler versus Rory McDonald 2 fight. I've also got the Rory McDonald versus Douglas Lima 1 fight. That was at Bellator 192. We talked about that a little bit in the show. I've also got his after-fight comments, his post-fight comments, whenever he fought John Fitch, whenever he was talking to Big John McCarthy. That was the audio that we played earlier in the show. And then also we've got a full episode called The Retrospective, and that was an interview that was done with Rory McDonald. It was called Facing Nate Diaz, Robbie Lawler, BJ Penn, and more. And the last one I've got for you here is Rory McDonald discusses his move from Bellator to the PFL. It was another interview that he did. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us a five-star review and a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast, at your men's event, at your church, at your team, hit me up, info at undaunted.life. Again, that's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Our website is www.undaunted.life and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. 
The intro-outro track on this podcast is their song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. I need a defender!